0: Thank you for being here today, and Matt, you did a wonderful job last week. Uh, yeah. Uh, appreciate you filling in up here. You can always guarantee that Matt is going to bring it right down the middle, right down the middle every time, and so that's a good thing. If you, didn't, if you haven't got to listen to it, it's on YouTube. You can search Leavener on YouTube and watch, watch things there every week. And uh, But I'm glad that you're here today. I'm picking back up in James, where I left off two weeks ago. I I kind of did an introduction and got through the first four verses of James. But just to remind you uh, what, what's going on here is there's a lot of chaos that is going on during this time period. This is probably... Uh, probably about 20 years after Jesus' death. And uh, the gospel is going out, and the Jews are not happy about it because they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But there's all sorts of... And Paul's done his thing. He's gone out and preached this grace message. And it's messed everybody up because they were so used to doing the law that James had to come along with his other apostles and kind of like smooth things over and so he ends up writing this letter and he's talking about them and their their crisis that they're going through all the stuff in their life that they're having to deal with and I get it you can look out here in this room and I can see the stuff in the room and everybody's stuff is different but it's all important stuff to everybody It may be this deep, it may be this deep, but it's all important to everybody and that's exactly what's going on here. Now saying that, understand this, this letter was not written to you. This letter was written to the believers that were former Jews during these biblical times. That doesn't mean that we can't take the letter and apply it to ourselves, okay, so we're going to read this in the context that it was written, James writing to those believers in the whole Judea, Jerusalem area that are struggling financially, that are being ridiculed by the Jews for what they believe, that are being attacked. So it's, it's written to them. But we'll pull things out of here today. So I'm going to pick up in James chapter 1 verse 5. Now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, it's a good word, ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. Let me try something here real quick, see if this works. Okay Google, I was just seeing how many phones would light up here in the room. Uh, we say that quite often, right? Okay, Google or Alexa or Siri. And when we do that, we usually ask a question because when we do that, we're going to get what back? We're going to get an answer. We're going to get information. We're going to get knowledge. It's like right here in our pockets. We just say something and we get knowledge easily. What James is saying to the people here is not that you can just ask God and you're going to get knowledge. He says you ask for wisdom. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. There's a big difference. One deals with facts and information, but wisdom refers really to the knowledge of God's plans and purposes. And the ability to live according to those plans and purposes. There's a big difference between wisdom and knowledge. Wise, wise people can identify the nature and purpose of their trials and understand how to overcome them. So much that they may be able to encourage and help those around them. I believe that wisdom helps us understand how to use these circumstances even for the goodness and the glory of God. Whatever you're going through right now, God gives them wisdom, gives you wisdom, gives me wisdom. And you take the circumstance, however bad it is, and you use it for his glory. Sounds hard. Sounds unattainable to some in the room here. Someone has said that knowledge is the ability to take things apart while wisdom is the ability to put them together. I don't know who that was. It wasn't me. Um, I, I think the first step in having wisdom is realizing that you don't have wisdom. Uh. And so, therefore, James reminds us if you lack wisdom, you should ask God. So, I'm constantly asking God for wisdom. If wisdom comes from God, then uh, why wouldn't I go to the source to ask for wisdom? Proverbs 2 6 says this For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. God gives it, just as as Rick was saying, uh, God is a good giver. He's a good giver. God gives generously, no reason to hold back. He gives simply with a single heart. And in that that word, ungrudgingly, he does it with no condemnation. People think, well, I can't have wisdom because I have this certain behavior in my life, and There's certain situations, and but God's sitting here. He's saying that He he gives to all generously and ungrudgingly. There's no condemnation, regardless of your previous record. He will give wisdom, and then if you're here, here's the, the sticky part about wisdom. I could talk about this verse all day. Uh, The sticky part about wisdom is people seek wisdom all the time, and sometimes, even from this stage, I'll encourage others to seek wisdom from those around them. They're looking for good advice. And so there's there's three reasons why people go to others for wisdom. One, they go to others because they know the person has wisdom and they can trust the person. That's a good situation. If you are confident that there's, it's just like Danny was saying, coming here in this room and in this community, there, there's a lot of wise people because they've sought the heart of God and you can seek them out for wisdom and you just have to be able to not only trust God, but to trust the person that's receiving the wisdom. All right? The second person that's seeking wisdom for others they go to others because it's the shorter route like it's easier to go to somebody who knows God well than for them to figure out God's heart you hear what I'm saying like if you're going to get wisdom the way that you're going to get it is by figuring out who God is and what his heart is But if you're not willing to do that, then you're going to look for people around you that do that. That's the shortcut method. I don't encourage that necessarily. Sometimes, maybe. Then the third person who seeks wisdom from other wise people, they're looking for someone to agree with what they have already determined what they want to do. So they ask a lot of people for wisdom in search of the one that will agree with what they have already determined that they want to do. And the question you ask is, do you really want or need help or wisdom? Or are you just looking for an agreeing opinion? A person with wisdom will understand they can't help that person. And they will move on. Did you hear that? A person that's coming and seeking wisdom, but they've already determined what they're going to do, and dismisses that wisdom, it will cause the person with wisdom to move on from them. Because they can't really help them. James has encouraged them, if you want wisdom... Go ask the source of wisdom. He'll give it to you. You're going to have to do something. You're going to have to like figure him out. You're going to have to know God. And then verse 6, it says this. But let him ask in faith without doubting. Oh, goodness. Let him ask in faith without doubting. You ask in faith, yet you doubt. For the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. You know, uh, the greatest enemy to our prayers being answered is probably our lack of faith. It's our unbelief that God will actually do that. So when he says, go ask for wisdom, but do it in faith, believe that God will do that for you. Believe that he will give you wisdom. Believe that. Um. Let me, let me, I said I was going to preach a little bit here uh, this morning, but let, let me say this about wisdom. Wisdom is n- not, let's get this clear, wisdom is not based upon feelings. I feel that, I hear that all the time, I feel that God is wanting me to do this, or I feel that I'm supposed to, or I feel. That's not wisdom. That's emotions. Uh, I believe that what you know from the word of God can impact those emotions and feelings, but you can't rely on emotions and feelings because emotions and feelings aren't always true. They aren't always true. They will, they will lie to you, your emotions and feelings. Uh. I can't stop my emotions, I can't stop my feelings, but I can greatly impact them based upon the truth that I know, understand, and believe. I can begin to dismiss false emotions and feelings. Can't I can't override them, I can't stop them, it's just a part of who I am but I can definitely impact how I will respond to them and react to them. I believe that uh, today's society uses their feelings and emotions and, opinion- and opinions to formulate who their God is. That's a big deal. People, I think that God, da-da-da-da-da. And then... Uh, They get to choose what God would want for them because their God is based upon their feelings and emotions and opinions It's not based upon knowing the heart of God But it's based upon their Really their selfish feelings and their own opinions And it says uh for the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind if those If those people who are tossed about with emotions and feelings, if they let the emotions and the feelings control them, they they need to go to the one who gives wisdom with faith. The doubter will have an understanding of who God is and what he does for them, but when they get hit with a huge wave, Everything they thought they knew about God changes. Do you hear what I'm saying? You have to know the heart of God. Because there's no doubt that you're going to deal with situations and sufferings and stuff. There's no question about that. And when you do, it will greatly impact. It will greatly impact what you know about your God. One with wisdom will understand the same God who stood with them at the wedding altar is the same God who stands with them when it all falls apart. One with wisdom will understand that the same God who stood with them at the birth of their child is the same God who stands with them when the story doesn't play out like they expected it to. one with wisdom with him at the first day of an exciting one with wisdom will understand that the same God who stood with him in the first day of exciting new careers the same God who stands with them when that opportunity comes to an end like you need to know the heart of God because there's going to be situations and circumstances that greatly impact and change your life but God never changes Never changes. Verse seven it says that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. I I like uh, Tozer. There's not too many theologians that I will quote here on a Sunday morning, but I really like what he said here, and I'm kind of smoothed it over a little bit too. He says this probably nothing else bothers the earnest Christian quite so much as the problem of those dry spells that come to him occasionally. You ever have those dry spells? No matter how faithfully he tries to obey God and walk in the light, he can never predict them and he cannot explain them. And there lies his difficulty. It might comfort one who finds himself in the middle of an emotional desert to know that his experience is not unique. The sweetest and holiest saints whose feet have graced this earth have at some time found themselves there. It is good to know during such an internal drought that it has been a common experience with the saints. Such times demand that we exercise faith that we believe in what we know. Moments of great spiritual delight do not require much faith. If we never came down from the Mount of Blessing, we might easily come to trust in our own delights rather than in the unshakable character of God. When it seems that our watchful Heavenly Father withdraws His inward comforts from us sometimes, we will hopefully learn that Christ alone is the rock upon which we must repose our everlasting trust. So James is sitting here saying to the people, I, I get this, you're struggling, you're... But what it comes down to this is, everything that you've lived up to this point, you've learned about the loving, holy God. And now you just need to trust Him. Now you need to believe what you know is true. Even when you don't feel like it. Even when those feels are not there. Verse 9, he says, Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation. But let the rich boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass. Its flower falls off and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. He's really talking about a surrendered will here. I I want to read to you these same verses real quick from a paraphrase. A paraphrase. It says this. If you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help and won't be condescended to when you ask for it. Ask boldly, believingly, without a second thought. People who worry their prayers are like wind-whipped waves. Don't think you're going to get anything from the master that way, adrift at sea, keeping all your options open. When down-and-outers get a break, cheer And when the arrogant rich are brought down to size, cheer. Prosperity is as short-lived as a wildflower, so don't ever count on it. You know that as soon as the sun rises, pouring down its scorching heat, the flower withers, its petals wilt, and before you know it, that beautiful face is barren stem. Well, that's a picture of the prosperous life. At the very moment everyone is looking on in admiration, it fades away to nothing. The question I have after reading that is, what are you chasing? What are you chasing? I mean, we, we see our society, and it tells us to chase prosperity. It tells us to chase things. It tells us all that stuff. But in the end... Well, what's it worth? <laughs> I hear that, when I hear it and read it like that, I just start thinking about Twitter. Because Twitter is the one that uh, you can be prosperous one day and then all of a sudden that thing can torch you real quick. We watch it in our society, people getting bit all the time by Twitter. They get taken down you quickly move from prosperity and popularity to the social target of attack. Let's stay focused on the context here, though. What was going on here when James was writing this letter? They were being ridiculed for what they believed about Jesus the Messiah. They were being persecuted by the Jews. Life with Jesus... Or life without Jesus. That was what they were being hammered with. Verse 12, it says, Blessed is the one who endures trials. Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Look, the crown of life is this. The crown of life is eternity with Jesus. That's what we've been promised is that the rest of my days I will be hanging out with Jesus. I'm hanging out with him right now. It's pretty simple. I'm hanging out with him right now. I'll get to that here in just a second. But someday I'm face-to-face hanging out with him. And that is only achieved through our belief that Jesus is the Messiah. Verse 13, it says this. No one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God. Since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. That's a big verse for me right there. Because uh, even though Jesus said there's going to be suffering in our lives, there's going to be things that are said about you, there's going to be bad things that happen, uh, read my lips. Look at me. God is not the one doing that. God is not the one doing that. We have been struggling with these uh, thoughts all all week long. Uh, Hollywood totally understands good and evil, right? Every epic movie that you go to deals with good and evil. Name them: Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. They're just—it's all good versus evil. So Hollywood understands. Get this: Hollywoods understand there's a spiritual aspect to this world. Good versus evil. So when stuff happens to you, when stuff happens to you, why does everybody want to tag God with that? If there's good, if there's evil. Don't you see there's two sides to the story? God is good and Satan is evil. So we live in a fallen world where Satan is the ruler of this world. Why do we not tag Satan with those things? It just makes sense to me. James here is asserting that God's not responsible for temptation or for the sin that might result for it. So let's tag the person who is and that would be the evil one. There's nothing in God in which evil can make an appeal to. Verse 14, it says this. Here we go, we're going to break this thing down here. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. All right, here we go. This is something that you hear all the time. I'm your pastor, and I sin. Yeah, it's terrible, isn't it? Eddie, what do you think? Can you hang out with me? It's sickening, isn't it? I'm your pastor, and I sin. So when I sin... One, I don't dwell on it. Uh, I've had some great discussions this week with people is sitting here going through my head right now. Uh, but basically, my whole life, I'm, I've told you this before, I'm given two choices. I can either walk by the flesh or walk by the Spirit. If I walk by the flesh, that's my own selfish desires, and I'm doing things in my own strength. If I walk by the Spirit, there's a holy living God inside of me that tells me what's right, and he says, literally, let me do this for you. And so I submit to that strength, and I walk by the Spirit. It's the two choices I'm, I'm going to get on everything that I do. Sometimes I will blow it, and I will make the selfish choice. That's sin. Doesn't matter what it is, even if it's a good thing, and I do it in my own strength. If I do it, and, you know, it's a prideful thing, even if it's a good thing, That's sin. Like, if I read, if I get up at six o'clock and read my Bible and memorize scripture and pray for you all by name, and I take credit for that, that's sin. That doesn't mean I can't do that. Maybe the Lord wakes me up at six and I do spend time with Him and I read the word and it sticks in my head and. As I'm reading the word, I think about you guys, and I pray for you, and that's being led by the Spirit. There's a big difference there. So, sometimes I occasionally blow it. When I blow it, when I blow it, I don't sit there and write it down because i got to kneel beside my bed at night and remember everything that I did wrong so I can confess it and ask for forgiveness. I don't do that. There's something... About me, because I'm a new creation, I'm wholly redeemed, and I'm set apart from the rest of society that says, that didn't feel good, that's not right. And I immediately change my mind about it. That's called repentance. Repentance means to change my mind. Where did repentance come come from? According to Romans, it comes from God. God leads me to repentance through his kindness. God led me to repent. I have a new heart. So now, what do I do? Do I sit there and waller in it, and I try to think about how to stop doing that? No, because I've done that route before. That doesn't necessarily work. God, if I really have changed my mind about this, I need you to do this for me. I need you to help me stop sinning. Now, I just sit here and made that a really difficult process. But the truth of the matter is, there's nothing difficult about it. Maybe when you're first getting started, and you're thinking about it, and you're processing that, that's exactly what it looks like. It's kind of like a new baby walking. You know, they have to literally think about taking a step, and they're going to stumble, and it's not going to work too well for them at first, but then eventually they get it to where you're running. But I don't focus on my sin. I, I told you I sin. I don't focus on my sin. I focus on Lord you, you're my life. live my life, do this. I was uh, we had breakfast with um, Corey and Chloe before they went back. She was here from Nashville for the ski trip this weekend, and I skied with her for a little bit. I don 't ever ski with Corey because he 's snowboarding somewhere and doing his thing, but I, I know how he rolls, and so we were having this discussion about uh, confession and uh, repentance and forgiveness and things like this at the breakfast table. Uh, Chloe's actually the one that brought it up. And I said, Corey, when you're snowboarding and you fall down, what do you do? He's like, well, a lot of times I catch myself and I just get back up and go. Usually I just fall down and bounce right back up and I go. And I'm like, what are you thinking about when you're, you're going? He's like, I'm thinking about snowboarding. Hmm. Chloe, I skied with you, and I watched you fall down. What did you do when you fall down? I laid there. I popped my skis off. I was mad. I was frustrated. I can't do this. You helped me stand back up. I put my skis on. All I could think about was falling again. I did one more run and then I quit. Hmm. Are you tracking with me? Because there's a, a difference. Look, they're they're they both seem like good things, right? Like you're focusing on not sinning, you're focusing on not falling down, you're focusing on what you have to do. They they seem like good things, but One doesn't work because you're constantly going to be falling down. You're constantly going to be beaten up and you're constantly going to have thoughts of shame and guilt and everything else beating you down. But the truth of the matter is, God says, I came that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. I want you to bounce when you fall and keep going. Think about me. Think, I got this. I'll do this for you. Quit focusing on your sin because I dealt with that 2,000 years ago. It's been taken care of. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, past, present, and future. I'm not getting back up on the cross and dying again just because you kneel beside your bed and ask for forgiveness tonight. I'm I'm done with that. We've dealt with that. Live in your righteousness. Live in your forgiveness. There's a state of forgiveness that has been created for you. Just live in it. Bounce back up. Keep going. Let's go. Enjoy this life. There's lots of snow out there for you. The slopes are wide open. Enjoy it. That's the life. This temptation to give in to evil comes from us and only us. We have no one to blame but the leering, seducing flare up of our own lust. Like if you, literally, if you're going to lay there, the evil one will pile up on you. Trust me, he will pile up on you, bounce back up. It, uh, it, go, it goes further. It goes further. First Thessalonians uh, talks about us being a, a body, soul, and a spirit. If you can understand that your soul and your spirit has been redeemed and that you're holy and righteous, and you can walk in that and live in that, You know that there's going to be crazy thoughts in your head. There's going to be guilt. There's going to be shame. There's going to be old flesh patterns that you established before you believed in Jesus that reoccur up there. You're going to have thoughts. But it comes down to this. You still have one choice to make of the two. Walk by the flesh or walk by the Spirit. There's a holy living God inside of you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that lives in your mortal bodies. I'll live this life for you. Let me. We can snowboard all you want together. Verse 16 says this. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. He's passionate at this point. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Evil stuff comes from the evil one. Temptation comes from the evil one. The good stuff, tag that with the Heavenly Father. My dear brothers and sisters, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of be a kind of first fruits of his creature. God loves you, and he has provided a way out. All the stuff that you're going to deal with, all the temptation, God says, I got you, I've provided a way out. 1 Corinthians chapter 10.13 says, No temptation has come upon you, Except what is common to humanity. In other words, there's no surprising God here. All the stuff that's going on up here, all the stuff that you end up doing, it's been done before. You're not surprising God. It says, But God is faithful, He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. That's a big verse. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. That's a verse that everybody twists and says, God's not going to give you more than you can handle. That's not what it says. God says you're going to be tempted. There's going to be temptation that comes your way. But if you just let him do it through you, he's got it. He'll do it. Oh, trust me, you're going to not be able to handle some things. I think that's a good thing. When I can't handle it, you guys, you guys come to me all the time with your issues and stuff, and it's like, I can't do it anymore, I can't handle it. Good. Now you'll let God do it. You'll let God do it. Because you've tried for so long to do it yourself. Try something different. Let the Lord do it. Can you hear the passion in James' voice for these people? He's like, stick to what you know is true. We've taught you well. Jesus is the Messiah. He lives inside of you. Hold to that truth. Lord, I pray the same thing here. That we can just hold to your truth that um, you clearly define who you are and what you're all about to us. It's through your word. It's through your creation, as Danny said. It's through each other as believers. I pray that we can trust you, that we can believe in you, and look to you for truth. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.